Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, Asteroid City, the new Wes Anderson movie is out. We've seen it. We're also going to talk about Extraction 2 on Netflix. For those of you maybe staying in for the summer, beating the heat, need something to watch, Extraction 2 is out. We actually covered Extraction way back in the day uh, on, on the show, Andy. Um, I don't remember. 2020, right? April 2020 yeah. is when that movie came out. Uh, Chris Hemsworth's back at it. Boy, it sure seemed like he died at the end of that last one, but <laughs> it, was all, it was all a ruse, a trick. No one's ever really gone. No one's ever really gone. That's right. Uh, we're also going to talk about Warner Brothers. There's been some wild news out of Warner Brothers this week. Uh, since HBO and Discovery merged in what is now Max, the freakish Frankenstein of a service that we're all enjoying, uh, Warner Brothers has been kind of pulling some strings on the back end, and we got to talk about it. Turner Classic Movies is involved. They, they got an AI thing going. That's a whole thing. Uh, and before we get to all that, we need to talk about the news. Uh, our first story this week, and we have a new Superman. Dun, 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 dun. I don't believe it. <laughs> That's right. Uh, uh, big news. This just dropped today, like this afternoon. Um, we knew that, that there were several pairs of actors in, in the running, uh, Nicholas Holt, being one of them but the lead roles have been chosen both for superman and lois lane superman will be played by david Cornsweet, uh who we most notably saw in last year's pearl uh last was that last summer already um i think so yeah and he played the the film projectionist in that has a Square jaw, he's got the look. They're looking for someone like in their like mid to late 20s, possibly early 30s. Got nice square jaw. Um, I don't know what much else that, that he's in, uh, but he's a ma major actor. Like he, he's not a household name yet, but he's in big projects with big name stars. Uh, Lois Lane is going to be played by Rachel Brosnahan, who uh, stars as the, in the titular role of the marvelous Miss Maisel, right? Yeah, um, on a show I, I I haven't watched, but I've I've heard a lot of, and she's also uh, again done a lot of other big projects with with big stars. So the, these aren't major uh, film stars yet. I'm I'm sure uh, they will be, but they're definitely solid actors. So that's our new uh, Lois Lane and Superman. It's been a hot contest for sure. Uh, Nicholas Holt was in the running for Superman along with one other gentleman who I can't remember. He was also an up and comer like David Cornsweet. And I feel so bad for Nick Holt because he's a fine actor and like nobody on the internet believed in him. <laughs> everybody was like, well, he's not getting it, but that's cool. He's getting an audition, you know. Apparently, uh, he also lost out on a Batman audition. So the man yeah, is just dude. not meant to don the cape. It's funny. Like you throw some makeup on him. You can make him a, a vampire or a zombie. Uh, he's played both of those roles uh, in his time as, as the as the protagonist in feature films. Uh, additionally, beast. yeah, <laughs> he could do anything. Right. Yeah. He, he's, he played an X-Men like he's, he's fine. No, no problems with Nick Holt. Uh, additionally, like Emma Mackey, it was another uh, Lois Lane runner, and I was really pulling for her. Uh, she's in Netflix's Sex Ed, or more recently, uh, she is the like wayward love interest in Death on the Nile. Death on the uh, Nile, and she's yeah. dude, she's great in that movie. Like, she's one of the few actors who like really pulls your attention. Um, she's really passionate, even though she's like. <laughs> freakishly villainous uh in in in, in her own ways uh and i really thought man maybe she's got a swing at it but no it's rachel brosnahan by a nose uh she's great in marvelous miss Maisel, five seasons of on amazon prime david corn sweat i've only seen him in pearl the projectionist from pearl coming in as superman it reminds me of of, of uh, brandon routh getting superman for what superman legacy but or not uh superman whatever that one returns. was returns. returns yeah like the classic yeah montage vintage old superman 
uh, what do you think? Like fine picks? What do you uh, what do you think? I think that these are good picks. It's nice to see new blood. A, a lot of there's been a lot of talk about like you know who's going to come over from the old regime, and James Gunn hasn't ruled anyone out. He hasn't closed the door. Like he's been he's been very diplomatic about it. He'll be like, you know, there's always a chance to, you know, for, for who, but I think deep down they don't want to cast recast anyone from the old DCEU. So that means Henry Cavill's out. Gal Gadot is out. Everyone's out. I don't really think they want to bring anyone over because they want to kind of have a fresh start and that's really what they need. And, you know, I think the other big important thing is like what kind of story we're going to get. And we know that James Gunn is very, if you've seen all of his projects, he's very much character and plot driven uh, amidst the, the, the superhero skin. And so I, I think he, his focus is to develop, um, you know, a story. They're also in the middle of casting. A, I think Lex Luthor is going to be one, the villain or one of the villain, which I hope they get someone else. Cause we've done Lex like four times. Like, can we not, can we not? He like he was in the original Superman, the 2006 Superman Returns, the Batman vs Superman movies. He was like, can we go? Can we just go on from this character, please? We we, we need. There's so many uh, more interesting Superman villains we could use. Yeah, the Martha's pearls of the Superman franchise, like infamous supervillain Lex Luthor, has arrived once again to represent capitalism and defeat Superman uh, in the most feeble way possible. Yeah, I heard it was either going to be Brandon Skarsgård or Stellan Skarsgård. Uh, Brandon Skarsgård, not Brandon. What's his name? Uh, the kid from It and uh, Barbarian. Peter. Ah, no. it's, it's, it's escaping one of, one of one the, the Bill. Skarsgård. Bill. <laughs> Bill Skarsgård. Brandon Skarsgård. Good Lord. Yeah, infamous Brandon Skarsgård. Uh, the two of them I heard were in the running for Lex Luthor. Like, I guess fine picks, you know. Why, hey, villain from John Wick 4 also, I should say, Bill Skarsgård. Uh, might be stepping up to play Lex, and I'm sure that'll help his resume. One person who's probably bummed about this whole thing, uh, Henry Henry Cavill, right? He's got season three of The Witcher out on Netflix soon, but he's not in season four. And, uh, you know, I, he was going to be oh. Superman again. We were stoked. At the end of Black Adam, he was the best part of the movie. He announced on Instagram shortly after it came out, I'm going to be Superman. Hooray. I'll, and then I'll now say it's not this. happening. Um. Warner Brothers wasted Henry Cavill's tenure as Superman. He was in three films, um, all of mediocre quality, like varying degrees of quality. He looked great in the suit, would have been in an incredible presence. Like, you know, you wish you could have seen him like Robert Downey Jr. did Iron Man. He was Iron Man in like 10, 12 films for Marvel. And, uh, you know, Henry Cavill could yeah. have done the same thing. And they just, they squandered him and they, they did so many knee jerk reactions and you know they and they when everyone freaked out at or when Justice League got to perform they freaked out and that they, they didn't do any more projects so like they didn't have him anything for five years so that's yeah, just a shame I mean it his really career's is. his career still <laughs> still doing fine despite that but uh, yeah it could have been a, a really career defining role. Hopefully they'll have him back at some point. Like it's just such a layup. Like you throw it, it'll it'll be like Spider Man Homecoming, right? Like you throw Henry Cavill Superman on screen, people will cheer. Like people will be stoked to see him again. So like hopefully, I don't know. Like hopefully in some in some way that comes back around. We live in an age of nostalgia. Anything could happen. I say you you wait ten years, bring him bring him back from King, Kingdom Come storyline, which uh, features that's right Superman. You got old Superman on lock for sure. He's not going anywhere. Um. Our next story, uh, Oscars. 
<laughs> the Oscars are changing minimum theatrical release requirements for Best Picture. This seems like an offbeat story. Uh, Andy threw it on the outline. I, I was a little unsure why he wanted to talk about it, but like actually looking into it, 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 it makes a bit more sense. Uh, infamously over full category, Best Picture, right? Uh, since they expanded to 10 films just a few years ago. Uh, they don't ever usually hit 10, but now it's going to be harder to get categorized at all if you're, if you're lobbying for your movie to be in the category. Uh, why is that? Andy so currently for your your movie to be eligible for best picture it needs to run for one week in one of like six approved markets so that's like New York LA and some other big ones and usually the, this is kind of how really small films that you've never heard of get into the Oscars but they'll run in for one week in LA in that in a theater you've never heard of no one goes to see it but they they meet the minimum requirements uh, so they're looking to expand these to just make it a little bit more challenging or so to get these films out more so now they it's going to need to run for two weeks and it's going to need to run in a minimum of 10 markets so that's up 10 different cities uh for two weeks so that's that's a pretty big bump it's not going to affect the big studio movies like because they were already going to do that what it might affect more are smaller films indies uh streamers because netflix would would infamously just run they're do a one week run and then get it off because they they don't want their stuff in theaters. But now they, they're going to have to really do a wider expansion if they want to be, have on Oscar contention. So help, help me interpret this a little bit for the, for, for those of us who don't speak like uh, Academy, uh, it's basically films need to run for two weeks now uh, in like 10 markets as opposed to previous one. Uh, why? What, 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 what's the deal? Like what, what, what's, what's the problem with the best picture category? Why is the Academy changing it? Like why now? What you know? Like what said, what I, benefit I, does that have? There are some films who have kind of snuck under the radar. I, I'm reminded of last year's controversy controversy of Two Leslie, a film no one no one saw that that Andrea Riseborough was was nominated for Best Actress. Like no one had seen or even heard about this movie until like the week before it was nominated. And so just just in an effort to have movies actually play to larger audiences. And to not just do the bare minimum, I think, is the main reason. I don't think they really actually say in this article. They just said yeah, that they it. it's it's an odd thing, but like the Academy makes odd decisions. I, I, I you know, I don't know. Like if something does happen, if it does have some kind of like quaking change in the industry, uh, we'll be the first on it. So keep it here on Oscript for more. Uh, one more story. This one's odd. <laughs> I feel a little weird talking about it, uh, but Andy got really fired up about it, so I'm excited to get into it. Uh, the uh, Variety put on an article uh, just today, uh, the 10 best films of the year so far, and they have some really odd picks, really odd picks. And, and you know, I, we're not always right on off script, but most of the time we're right on off script. And I, I feel pretty confident saying like this list is this list is not great, right? It's, it's not a great list. What, yeah. What you, yeah. What's going on? Here, it, so let me just re read off this list. It's not in any... Uh, kind of order um i think it's actually just an alphabetical order so it's not like uh listed one through ten but let me just read them so there's air the uh matt damon ben affleck uh, movie nike about the nike shoe deal yeah. a film called the eight mountains which i haven't heard of uh flaming hot the movie about the <laughs> story of the flaming hot cheetos <laughs> <laughs> uh guy Ritchie's the covenant which is a war film starring uh jake gyllenhaal Little Richard, I Am Everything. This is a documentary about Little Richard, which I had heard really good things about, actually. I, I've heard, heard a little bit about this. Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre, which is another 
Guy Ritchie film. Somehow he's gotten two on this list. Uh, we did not watch this. We didn't cover. Haven't really heard too much about it. Past Lives is a Korean drama uh, from A24 that I've heard a lot about. I, like I've heard the the movies like cr- Crush and you're going to ball your eyes out because it's kind of like this unrequited love. Uh, Rushing. You know, uh, yeah. Reminds me of, I want to say Golden Years. That's not the, in the mood for love. It's kind of in that vein. Uh, Polite Society, which is like uh, an Indian English uh, dr- uh, action drama that I, I saw a few trailers about, but we we didn't end up seeing that's it. On, uh, that's on Peacock this week, by the way, if you have the ability. We don't, but, you know, Polite Society. Skinnamarink. Hey! <laughs> which has weaseled it uh, its way onto my top ten list, which I'm putting together through the year. Shamelessly listing Skinnamarink at the top ten. Yeah, um, and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which definitely deserves to be there. That's probably my f- the favorite thing I've seen so far. This list is, is like two good movies and then a whole bunch of stuff no one has heard of, <laughs> no one's yeah. seen, and 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 then things like Air, which is like just corporate Hollywood pandering. Like that's a movie about a shoe shoe deal. Like how 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 good is it? And then there's a whole lot of I think better movies that are missing. Zach, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's stunningly biased. Uh, our author mentions at one point that uh, the second Guy Ritchie movie, Roostiger, he says in his review that he puts a Guy Ritchie movie on his top 10 list like every year. I can't believe he still works for Variety with that kind of attitude. But, you know, what do I know about film publication? Uh, two Guy Ritchie movies? Dude, come on. <laughs> come on. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe they're really good, but I didn't hear a whole lot about them. I don't know anything about Eight Mountains. Air seems like... Air seems like a great movie to watch on an airplane. Flame yeah, and Hot, yeah. I've actually heard is good. Uh, it's Eva Longoria's directorial debut. Uh, I've actually heard that movie's solid, and we might end yeah, up coming I've, around on it at some point. Same, um, I've heard some good things about it too. Little Richard Dog, I haven't seen it. You know, may, maybe I, I I do love a good dog. I I past lives make sense. Spider Verse makes sense. Uh, I'd like to see Polite Society, and I think Skinnamarink is a is a real curveball. Like that's you're you're throwing that on there for clicks. That's what that feels yeah, like. To, as we will be. <laughs> to me, it, it's crazy to have something like Air, which is a very mainstream like dad movie, and then Skinnamarink, which is a total film school experimental film that most yeah. people wouldn't be able to get through. Some films that that I w- did want to recognize uh, that that I thought about that we've seen this year. First of all, I don't feel like I've seen 10 great films this year so far, mostly because they're all going to come out in the back half of the year. Like the back half of the year is going to be so heavy. We have a lot of the big hitters. Um, John Wick chapter four, I, I think <laughs> deserve, uh, deserves to be on this list. John Wick chapter four, maybe. It'd be but, low you know, on my top 10. That's the thing. What, that's a, that's well, a low hanging fruit for me. At least, at least for, for this half year. Um, great action movie. Uh, the other thing that I that I wrote down here because I have to keep it ongoing. Suzume, the the Japanese oh, yeah. anime, yeah, like yeah. The, the, no animation listed on this. By by the way, I think uh, Spider Man. That <laughs> Spider Man. Sorry, Spider Man. One animation it's, listed on this. One animation. <laughs> it's also one that it literally just came out. Some recency bias, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a weird list. Yeah, it's really odd. Like I I I don't know. You know, I, I I wouldn't. I guess what I'm saying is is don't take film journalism very seriously, unless of course you're listening to Oscar Film Review, where we bring stories like this to you every single week. Uh, and if you want more of them, feel free to subscribe. By the way, before we get too far into it, I want to say uh, going into next week, dude. Next week is a the beginning of a action fueled July that I'm not sure we're going to be able to hang on to. You got Indiana Jones, Mission Impossible. 
you got uh, Barbie, and you got Oppenheimer. Like, it's going to be an insane couple of shows coming up. <laughs> Basically, in like three weeks, there's I'm gl- four yeah. blockbusters. I'm glad we're taking a break for the fourth, because <laughs> we're going to need it. Like, we're going to be at the theater an awful lot, uh, which is going to be great. I'm excited to review those movies. But uh, this week in particular, I'm excited to review uh, something a little different, something a little bit special. Uh, we, I guess we've watched a few Wes Anderson movies on this podcast, and and... This is the new one, right? Asteroid City is Wes Anderson's new feature. Uh, it's the movie he did this year with his studio, Searchlight, and uh, Indian Paintbrush. And that's what we're talking about. The movie is uh, Asteroid City. Where are you? Asteroid City, Farm Route 6, Mile 75. So Asteroid City is uh, a complicated sort of movie. Uh, on its face, it is a story about Jason Schwartzman, a war, photo- war photographer, uh, and newly widowed father. <laughs> arrives at asteroid city uh out in the desert and what's like seems to be i don't know or like mid 19 1900s americana 1955 yeah like night is that the year 1955 uh yes uh they they him and his family arrive in asteroid city for the uh yearly space convention uh, of stargazers uh, junior stargazers that happens in the uh meteor uh (laughs) landing landing of the meteor site uh, and and that's what's going on. That and and when they arrive, they discover a charming uh, land full of puckish characters who are all perfectly symmetrical, right? And aim straight at the camera and and constant one point horizon in in Wes Anderson's very eclectic, very rigid visual style that he's very much known for. He does it in all of his movies. Um, but then Asteroid City is a little more than that. Uh, and and you know, I think that if you've seen a Wes Anderson feature, most of his movies are. Uh, kind of a story within a story. Uh, French Dispatch, right, is technically the story of uh, Bill Murray's local publication, The French Dispatch, and uh, it's the stories from the journalists who work there. It's inspired by The New Yorker. Uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, actually, uh, is told in the past, right? Uh, Jude Law arrives to stay at the old, decrepit Grand Budapest Hotel upon meeting its owner. Uh, He discovers that there's a whole illustrious history, and that's the movie you watch. So, like, the story within a story is not a strange thing for Wes Anderson, but Asteroid City does something different. And and really, I think that the best way to describe it is uh, Asteroid City is positioned in the film as a play being put on by an entirely separate set of characters that are filmed by four, filmed in 4x3 in black and white. And Asteroid City footage <laughs> is color widescreen and the play footage of like the meta behind the scenes of the play happening uh, is in black and white. Uh, it's really unique. A, uh, it might be his his oddest, quirkiest film yet. Um, I'm excited to talk about it. And before we get into it, I should say uh, Andy is not traditionally uh, a super fan of Wes Anderson movies, <laughs> I, and I have come around recently in the past few years, and I'm a big fan of them now. It didn't used to be. Uh, so I think we have a pretty even keel review here. Andy, what did you think of Asteroid City? So I didn't really like it at first, but I think it's growing on me slowly kind of the more I think about it. Um, I'll try and start with the uh, the positives. Uh, it it is when Wes Anderson is known for his very unique style and like camera movement and um, how he tells stories, and th- this is no ex- exception. Um, it it almost looks like a a Roadrunner cartoon set. Some and it's not because um, they have like a, a real train and real cars and they drive places, but it it the whole thing almost looks like a a 1950s cartoon canvas. Um, so the look, the look of it, 
is as I think really incredible and and one of the most interesting things about it. Especially the, there's parts where we we see some of the asteroids. The space stuff is really good, and, and also jumping back to the the play within a play things that are in black and white are different aspect ratio. That stuff is really interesting. I, I did have a hard time kind of getting into the the main plot, which deals with Jason Schwartzman dealing with with kind of the loss of of his wife and you know now being in charge of their three children but that's kind of just it's a small plot that's not very touched on and then there's all these other characters uh kind of dealing with uh different things the main reason they are there is is they're celebrating like the junior astronomers club something or other where there's like six parents and their six very gifted kids are there to kind of receive science awards. That's kind of how all, all this starts. But then there's all these little characters in this community, all with varying uh, struggles. I mentioned the visuals at the top, but just to kind of explain that and, and kind of the, the content, core content of the film, uh, they shot Asteroid City uh, out in Spain, I think, on like this two-acre two patch of land where they like laid out a ton of sand that they trucked in and built these giant like rock faces and little buildings, uh, and that's where they film, right? And they got like long parallel tracks that the cameras roll on because Anderson loves his dolly shots. Uh, they've got a train that runs out there and, and, and cars, and, and it makes for like a very visually striking feature inside the world of Asteroid city um it looks like it's not really cgi but it doesn't really look real either like the saturations turned up a little (laughs) and and everything's everything's painted like just just a little too yellow and the the wallpaper is a little too loud and and uh visually you get like this really unique setting uh for our huge cavalcade of characters uh to to romp around in uh just a quick uh bump off the poster i'll rattle off a few of these uh wes anderson's typically known for his large cast this film includes jason schwartzman scarlett johansson tom hanks jeffrey wright tilda swinton brian cranston edward norton adrian brody leif schreiber hope davis stephen park maya hawk steve carell matt dillon hong chow is in this movie oh dang (laughs) (laughs) when i watched it last night willem dafoe margot robbie tony rivalori uh, Jeff Goldblum, uh, tons of tons of old returning, lots of exciting new ones uh, in there. Um, Hong Chao is in one of the black and white scenes. Is she really? Just oh one, my though. god, I know exactly who she is. My gosh, I, I lose that woman in the screen. She's great in the she's great in uh, the whale and the menu. Uh, lots of characters, like lots of visuals. Um, and a bouncy script. Like I think that's what makes it work for me. Uh, it's a funny movie. Um, and one of the good things about like the comedy and the emotion in a good Wes Anderson feature is it feels like it comes out of nowhere because the visuals are so rigid. Like what you're seeing is so staged. Everything feels like it is specifically set on stage, like a stage play. And this movie plays into that because it has this meta level of like the backgrounds of a play going on and the people who are struggling to put on a production, uh, like Asteroid City. Um, I think like that stuff works pretty well here. It doesn't have quite the like deep digging emotion I think I was hoping for, but I was really hyped going into it because I really wanted to see Asteroid City. And I think a second watch is is more than due for me. Right. I I struggled with the first half of this. Like uh, I nodded off a couple times, mostly because it was Saturday afternoon, I think. Um, but it, I I did like the second half a lot more. Uh, we get it, we know this from from the trailers apart when where a spaceship. Uh, shows up uh, to me everything when that happens and everything after that's much more interesting than kind of kind of the first half 
um, again, you you have a large collection of eclectic characters, which are all struggling through di- through different things. Uh, again, Jason Schwartzman's dealing with the very recent loss of his wife. He hasn't told his his three kids, and his wife's been dead almost a month, and they still he's like, I, and he says, I don't. He's talking to Tom Hanks, who's their grandfather. He says, you know, the time just isn't right, and, it, and Tom Hanks says, the time is never get right. <laughs> for the so the, and then there's uh, Scarlett Johansson which is like a mid-century uh fam- she's a famous or semi-famous actress and uh she's just struggling she needs to learn her lines she's struggling with kind of her career and her playing she's uh, her daughter is also one of these uh junior cadets Lee Schreiber also struggles to connect with his son so there's all these kind of small plot lines uh interweave and, and of course when, whenever the this kind of celestial phenomenon happens everyone is now quarantined and forced to stay uh there in asteroid city i think i really like the way like a good cast of a wes anderson movie feels a bit like a game of guess who like because everybody's got their own silhouette and everybody has like their one real distinct character trait that like defines their actions and how they act because nobody gets a ton of screen time in here there's a lot of characters to juggle like on top of the large cast list our poster features almost everybody and it's like 30 people like there's a lot of people like running around in this movie all of them with their own means and and points and, and what i am so charmed by i think is just how simple like a lot of these get to be like jeffrey wright's general who's just kind of stern and well-spoken and wears his hat all the time or like steve carell's like odd I'm going to say merchant of wares <laughs> in Asteroid City who's got a little poker hat on and, and the hotel very clear. Yeah, right. Like, I, I love the way everybody's, like, uniquely simple. And uh, I was charmed to see, uh, I think, kids in a Wes Anderson movie. I know Wes Anderson does kids' movies like Fantastic Mr. Fox, and I know, well, kind of, and I know he's put kids in movies like in Royal Tenenbaums, but, like, I, I, it's not often, I think, that I see you know, like actual kids that are like learning about the world. Uh, I guess Tony Revolori and uh, uh, French Dispatch is kind of that, but he's more, I always saw him more as like a refugee and he's surprisingly mature. Uh, these kids are brainiacs, but they're like, you know, just learning. And like, I think that's really charming to have to learn from like a cast of characters of adults who are like really one note <laughs> and, and kind of two-tone and not very interesting, um, but in their own way, like phenomenally individual and like I think that's all what Wes Anderson's style is, right? Like it's it's phenomenally unique in its own way. And I, I think the film's divisive. I, I know it's got like a fifty-four audience score on Rotten right now. They either like it or they don't, right? You're either into it or you're not. And Andy, you're you're a little in the middle. And I and I think it's because you respect what Wes Anderson does. Um but yeah, this movie is a little boring in the front. <laughs> I'll I'll agree with that. It's got problems. Yeah. It's a... Uh... You know, I, I can respect someone swinging for the fences. Like he he's really going for his style and uh, trying to say some profound things, but just it's a challenging way. And w- one of the I think challenges of this film, like I said, it's a play within a play. The movie you're watching is the the film version of the play the actors are kind of putting on. Uh, so it's it's very met- it's probably like the most meta of any of his films that I've seen because characters ch- kind of change between the film you're watching and the play they're putting on. And that's a little bit of a knee jerk uh, for the audience. Like you really got to be paying attention. I want to quickly, before we wrap up, like talk about what this movie means. Um, Cause I think there's a lot of like takeaways from what the message is here. Um, 
like I said, like Wes Anderson to me is very good at hitting you with the resting visuals. And then when you're confused by what you're seeing, like surprising you with like something emotional, like a message in its core, right? Like what is he trying to say? What is the point of Asteroid City? What, what is the point of a, a play within a film that you're watching? Um, and you'll have to watch it. And obviously we don't do spoilers here. You'll have to see for yourself like what you kind of get out of it. But I think it's a movie about uh, making art, right? And making stuff that's weird. Uh, our, our lead, Jason Schwartzman, is a photographer who takes photos. And his photos always come out. Um, his photos are also in black and white, just like the uh, black and white like meta play sequences that we get where people are trying to put on a production. They're trying to make something. And Asteroid City is uniquely staged as a place that like looks like it's staged. It's something that is like put together. Um, and I think that's what the movie's about. It's about making stuff that's weird and not knowing if people are going to like it, <laughs> put it out there anyway. And in a weird way, like I think that's what a lot of Wes Anderson movies are about, but like, I don't know. I, I think this one does it really well. Uh, it's unconventional for sure. Uh, Andy, what, what do you think? What, what, are you, what are you taking away from this movie? Well, I, I think one of the things it's it's about grief. I think Jason Schwartzman's character and his struggle, and uh, and also the Tom Hanks gets in on that too because it's, it's his daughter that's been the the wife character that's passed away. He's less con- seems to be less concerned about that and more concerned about the his granddaughters who are now don't have a mother and now he's will be stepping in kind of as an an in addition to parental figure. And so his, his grief is, is just, it's different, but that that's a big part of it. But then, yes, there's the bigger question of the play with, within a play and, and uh, the idea of making art and, you know, when does it feel right and what does it all mean? And I think we get some very uh, uh, complex answers for those questions. Yeah. Same. Uh, one more mention uh, soundtrack. Really fun soundtrack. Really simple. Really understated. I think it's uh, Alexander Desplat again, who does most of his features. Uh, not a bad listen. I, I thought it was good stuff. Anything? Any? Anything else for recommendations? I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Asteroid City? I'd recommend it to fans of Wes Anderson. If you've enjoyed his most of his uh, filmography. You'll probably like this one, too. If you're not a fan, you're probably going to struggle with it. If you're interested at all, I would say save it for streaming. I don't think it's a run-out must-see in, in the cinema. I'm warming to it the more I, I think about it. Uh, but like I said, sa- save it for streaming. Uh, I am <laughs> kind of in the same boat as Andy. Uh, go out and see it if you're a Wes Anderson fan. If you're not a Wes Anderson fan, maybe watch one of his movies at your house. <laughs> Do you think dip your toe in the water? I think this one is the the one of the weirdest he's put out in a, in, a, in a while, if not the weirdest. It's it's really odd. Um, I think it's really special too. Uh, I really like this movie. I, I think the world of it. But like, if you have never done Wes Anderson, don't don't buy a ticket to this and walk in like with your popcorn. Like this is gonna be great because <laughs> like it's not. It's more than what it seems. It really is. There's, there's more going on here than meets the eye. Uh, but if you like Wes Anderson, absolutely go see this movie. Uh, it's actually doing really well at the box office, I hear, for a Wes Anderson feature. Um, I know French Dispatch came out like right around COVID, and Disney didn't push it that much, but this one seems to be getting a bit more play, and I hear it's uh, hopefully going to make some money back so it's not another Wes Anderson bomb. <laughs> Do you have a favorite Wes Anderson film? Uh, I need to go back and rewatch it, because the one that really... I felt like got me into it was Darjeeling limited because that one isn't quite all this. It's not all like one point perspective, but he was getting there. 
like he was he was transitioning into like the style he's he's very firmly in now um but if i'm if that one's up in the air i guess i'm probably going to say grand budapest is my favorite i think it's the most accessible it's really funny ray fines is a treasure uh what about you uh that's what i was going to say was grand budapest uh of his most recent uh, film. So if you're looking to get into Wes Anderson, Grand Budapest Hotel is probably the the a good place to start. Yes, it's over on Max. Last I watched it, which was just a couple months ago. Would would recommend good rewatch. Also, French Dispatch is over there too. Uh, good stuff. Enter your own risk. Uh, speaking of Max and what's going on over at HBO, Andy, you mind introducing this next segment for us? It's time for the death of cinema. So we're going to be talking about Warner Brothers and uh, its, CE- its CEO, David Zasloff, the, the butcher of Warner Brothers, uh, who's just been making a lot of really uh, kind of crazy, questionable decisions. In just this last week, three big stories uh, came out th- that, um, you know, j- just really kind of have people scratching their heads. Uh, one, one of the big ones, there's been a lot of layoffs, and one of those was a lot of layoffs happening at Turner Classic Movies. Uh, and this was so concerning that um, this like the 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 film version of the Avengers came together with Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese, and Paul Thomas Anderson uh, all got on a call with uh, David Zaslav to you know plead their case for turning classic movies and to you know make sure that we still have this uh, kind of historic channel of curated films. Uh, so that that's our first kind of kind of decision. As uh, Zach, what are your takeaways? Uh, Turner Classic Movies is a bummer, man. I, I'd be really easy to be like, oh yeah, my granddad used to watch Turner Classic Movies, but Turner Classic <laughs> Movies as a concept is important for two things. One, archiving, right? Like keeping together an incredibly well curated library of classic films over the years where they have release rights, DVD access. They put these things out in physical media. You can still get them as well as broadcast them uh, online. A lot of movies that you may not be able to get otherwise have been uh, pushed through history by Turner Classic Movies. And that's not a bad thing but number two um functioning as a breathing medium for film right like turner classic movies is not just like a channel you can tune into or a collection of movies like it is a breathing entity for living breathing entity for classic films in the same way the criterion collection is like functionally a a a barnyard for like great films to go spend time at barnyard i don't know if that's the worst word i could have picked for that uh Turner Classic Movies is important. Like they, they not only like keep movies together, they make new features around them. They sit, inter- they, they, they call in directors and editors to, to sit in and do exclusive interviews that you can only get through Turner Classic Movies. Uh, Tom Hanks will go over and like record a whole thing for like a Spielberg marathon they're doing, right? And like that stuff becomes lost media because it's accessible and it has behind the scenes features of stuff that isn't really around anymore. Like functionally, it's it's a it's a part of film. Like it's, it's, it's important. And killing TCM is like gutting MTV, like for the music video industry. Like you have a constantly engaged like source of, I don't know, classic filmmaking that's getting gutted. And and yeah, like I'll admit, like not everybody watches TCM and that's the problem. David Zaslav's got right. We need ratings. We need people engaging who the hell is watching TCM. But I think it's important and they're not killing it. They're not gutting it. Uh, reportedly uh, after this meeting, uh, things went, did, did we say they had a meeting? Did we talk about that with Spielberg did, and Scorsese? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They had a call. 
Yes. Uh, reportedly after that, things went pretty well and they're like, yeah, things are pretty good. But like, dude, they had Ryan Reynolds tweeting about TCM because he's reportedly a huge fan. He was like, hey, please don't kill TCM. <laughs> like you have like genuine filmmakers, industry leaders like engaging and saying, hey, don't, 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 don't take my TCM away. So like not, not, not a great move, Zaslav, in my opinion. Uh, what else? What the hell else is going on? Uh, so another big uh, decision was that they uh, made a deal with an AI company uh, to help them choose films to uh, produce, which, which sounds very dy- dystopian uh, to rely on, uh, you know, th- the algorithm to greenlight scripts, which is, is the or or pictures. Um, they're hoping to use this at, at the festival level uh, where, where you have smaller films or things that are just kind of un- untested to kind of make decisions there. Uh, but it's it's a little it's really concerning the, uh, to take out the human element. I hate this story. Yeah, uh, the, the Warner Brothers signed a deal with Synalytic to use Synalytic's AI-driven project management system for uh, helping pick scripts and and kind of working through the green light stage of whether or not they should like you know put money into a feature. Uh, it works exactly as you'd expect, right? Uh, you, you, I mean, it's a bit more complicated, obviously, but like on the tin, 35,000 feet, you drop in a screenplay, you drop in a script, it'll say who's in it, who are you going to get, what are you going to pay them? Uh, yeah, okay, it's a good deal or a bad deal. Uh, it might even tell you, you know, hey, here's what your budget should be. Here's Here's some suggestions for who should make these movies. And like, that's not a good thing, man. Like, that's not really how creativity works. It doesn't come... Uh, at us it comes from us and like an ai is not going to throw a good idea at you it's going to throw mediocrity at you and you can green light mediocrity but like that doesn't move the needle over time um and it, I, I do have a, a quick metaphor from when i worked in radio but, but really quickly before i get to it andy any any hot takes on that I, I mean one thing about the 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 movie business and uh you know mayor of MGM Metro Goldwyn Mayer was famous. He said, "Like no one can predict this. Like no one knows what will be a hit. Um, and an algorithm, an AI thing, might it can gather data faster and it can help you make a more informed decision. But uh, you just never know because uh, movie, some movies take off that you never like. Who who knew that the Mario Brothers movie was going to be a make over a billion dollars? We did. And you can have <laughs> yeah, we did. Uh, Oscar, but then you can Oscar film review. Ding. Yeah, sorry." But then you can also have, you, you know, that's what uh, uh, the Flash movie feels like. It feels like an AI made every decision, you know, like put the, like people like this, do that. People like this, put, put that in there. And they did everything and it's been a huge bomb. So you can't just depend on that. Yeah. Elemental had the same criticism. It's like, you look, it looks like you ran Pixar through like an AI generator and it was like, what if elements lived in a city together and there were lots of puns about fire and water, you know, like it's more than that. Fortunately, our review is just last week. You can go check it out. But I, I the story I wanted to say about radio uh, for a couple of years, um, before I got into podcasting, I worked at a radio station. Well, I guess it was podcasting time, but I worked at a radio station, uh, uh here in Dallas, Texas. I uh, worked for a few radio stations, actually. It's what's called a cluster. And one day, uh, early on in my uh, tenure, there we got a call to the station at a local rock station guy requested a song i was so stoked it was my first song request ever i like jogged down to the program director's office hey don check this out uh we got a a song request he's like so what I was like, well, where do I like put it in? You know, it's my first one. He was like, we don't do song requests. It's like, you're a radio station. <laughs> what do you mean? And he was like, no, the music's pre-picked. I was like, well, yeah, but like you can like slide them around or move something around. He's like, no, 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 we, we stopped doing that a while back. Like uh, the music's just pre-picked in the mornings. And I was like, who picks it? He's like, well, premium choice. 
premium choice is how modern radio is run, at least for this large company I worked for, iHeartMedia at the time. You might have heard of them. Uh, I think our podcasts are available <laughs> on iHeartMedia's podcast app. Uh, they may not be after this. And uh, iHeartMedia runs premium choice. It's, it's a computer software that looks at, okay, on your top 40 radio station, what are the top 40 tracks in the world? Great. Uh, let's fill them out over a block. Okay, we need 22 minutes of commercial each block. Uh, boom, there you go. Full schedule for the day. Perfect. Like a perfect run of, of songs that are just going to run all day and you don't have to think about it. And good news, next week when the top 40 changes, it'll automatically update and it'll play better stuff in these hours. It'll run ads in these hours. And oh, it's perfect. And like, dude, people stop listening. Like, who, who, what happened to radio, right? Like, it got left in the dust, like, <laughs> by things like Spotify, by people wanting to hear the things they want to hear. People want specific things. Like, movie studios currently kind of understand that, and sometimes they put out something different, and they make something special, but if they put out the same old thing all the time, you're just going to turn into radio. You're just going to be premium choice. And, like, nobody wants that, really. Nobody wants premium choice. It's terrible. People want to request their own songs. That's what I think. And it really has nothing to do with movies, but, like, I don't know. Uh, what what else is Warner Brothers doing, Andy? Like what's what also the, because the hits just keep rolling, and this comes in in kind of line with the the TCM cuts because uh, Warner Brothers Discovery is forty nine billion dollars in debt, and so they're trying to find ways to um, just recover from that. Part of that is uh, you know they're cutting content so they don't have to pay residuals. They're licensing. They're you know have lots of layoffs, and the other thing they're doing is licensing things out. Uh, we saw this last year when they started uh, licensing things to the fast channels, which is free advertised supported TV, um, things like Tubi and Freebie and other ad supported channels. And this is where they were licensing out like Westworld and other big HBO shows. They're now turning to Netflix to look to um, license out some of those. And even some of their recent shows um, like Issa Rae's Insecure, which just wrapped up a couple of years ago. So, and some others. So it's just crazy that they're looking to license out their content when that was the whole point of, of creating enough streaming services to not license it out and to keep all the money for yourself. I think venture capitalists have figured out that streaming services are like not really profitable ideas anymore. Like they, they were really attractive, like, you know, five, 10 years ago and you still need to build the infrastructure. But now that there's a lot of players in the space, it's tough to get a leg in. I get licensing content out, right? Like it advertises your service. If you put it Westworld on Netflix, I'm sure people are going to know oh, this came from HBO, maybe. Uh, and, and also you make a little money on the side from something that people are probably not going out of their way to watch. Like, it's fine, I guess. Like, I totally get trying to accommodate for costs. But, like, I, I just think it's, like, more dilution of a brand that people like. That's what it feels like. HBO is uh, protective for a lot of its audience. Like, we we here on the show, we're bummed when they change the name from HBO Max to just Max. Like, that's – it feels like it loses its luster a little bit. And so – I hope this isn't like another step in just like diluting what the HBO brand is into just kind of this watershed of like good stuff that isn't really centralized anywhere. Um, hopefully that doesn't happen. What do you think, Andy? Uh, I mean, I think it's a desperate move. And then, like I said, it's a step backwards. Um, you made a, a streaming service to get subscribers and now you're going to license out your content elsewhere. Um, and, and, it, and their content will still be available on, on max. It just will also, some of it is also going to be on Netflix. Um, but yeah, uh, streaming is expensive uh, people saw the tons that you can get tons of revenue, but it's also t extremely expensive to do. So it's, uh, not, you know, it's not profitable. The only person, only entity making any profit off streaming is Netflix. Everyone else is in the red. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw a great TikTok the other day saying the only company, the only other company making money off streaming is Sony because they don't have a streaming service. They can market <laughs> out all their content. Yeah. They're the only ones who are like, nope, we're not doing that. That's a terrible idea. Um, and it may have worked in their favor. Peacock's hurting. Paramount is really hurting. I heard Paramount Plus is like in, in complete shambles, but I don't know. Uh, you know, in a, you know uh, so, someone, you know, I, I work in the, in the web space and a lot of times people will w- want to build entire infrastructures. They're like, you know, what if I had YouTube, but this or can, and I was just like, just let YouTube do it. Like, let them do the heavy lifting yeah. that you're like, don't reinvent the wheel until you get like, if you like, let someone else do the heavy lifting. If you get huge, then we'll talk about it. But um, every, everyone, yeah, wanted to build their own stuff, their own infrastructure and it's expensive. And especially the content creation is what is massively expensive. Yeah, Disney learned this lesson uh, real hard after Bob Chapek exited and Bob Iger came in. They were like very quickly shifting uh, to try to save money. I guess everybody's hurting, but Zaslav is becoming a really interesting character in the space because one, he's a personality, and two, he's just making a lot of incendiary decisions. And it's wild. I'm reading things like Warner Brothers wants to try to get Christopher Nolan back. Why would he ever come back? You guys have the wildest style. Like you have the craziest moves. Nobody knows what you're doing. You know, you might push his movies to day and date. Who knows what's going to happen like i think he's going to hang out at universal for a while i think a lot of people are going to be wary to work with warner brothers that's i mean i don't know that's my hot take (sighs) and speaking of yeah yeah. i don't think he's going to be luring anyone to warner brothers anytime soon no speaking of streaming services uh we need to talk about one more movie this week on the show uh andy's gonna be taking the summary for this one so andy please uh take it away extraction two Tyler, you were clinically dead nine months ago. So this is the sequel to, I think it was 2020's, 2021's uh, Extraction, the action movie starring uh, Chris Hemsworth as mercenary or extractor Tyler Rake, who in, in the first movie, he has to go into a dangerous situation setting and extract people from it. And he has to do the same thing. In this one, uh, at the end of the, the first movie, it, he appears dead. Uh, we see him at, at the beginning of Extraction 2 being kind of washing up on shore, getting rescued, getting to a hospital. He, he's still surgery. breathing. I yeah, don't having, believe it. Yeah. Having surgery, getting the physical therapy. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's back. He's healed. He gets a, a mysterious uh, meeting with Idris Elba, who shows up for one of the two very small scenes and said, we got another job for you, Tyler. Come back out and... Uh, he he ends up getting wrapped up in a new mission to extract his it's like his ex-wife's sister and their family from a Georgian prison um, that he has to go go in and extract them, which he does. Which you've seen a lot of the action things, a lot of big set pieces. Uh, eventually, some things go wrong, some things go right. Eventually, the bad guys uh, come after him. After even though that that mission is largely successful. Um, just a bunch of action. The, the the plot line doesn't matter, and it's it, it really doesn't. Like they they don't even try. Yeah. It's all about the the action. But you know, I, I was saying you know in the '90s in a '90s action film, you had to have interesting characters like in The Rock, uh, or uh, Face Off, or Con Air. Like you you had to have really memorable personalities and actors playing those personalities to get people to get you through the slow bits. Um, you had to have some really good. And it seems like an extraction too. They don't really care. Uh, th- there's s- some weak scenes about family and uh, this and that, but it's all about the action scenes, which go on kind of uh, forever. But uh, before I talk too much, Zach, what do you think? 
Yeah, uh, so we saw Extraction originally here on the show in 2020, and both of us were pretty lukewarm on it. The action's great, but the plot is real mid. Uh, but the setting was interesting. Uh, like, it wasn't, wasn't a bad feature. Uh, Chris Hemsworth was dead at the end of it. Uh, not anymore, baby. <laughs> Extraction 2, he's back. And I'll, I'll drop it. I'm sorry. Like, I know it's a stupid point to hang my hat on because it's an action movie, right? And, and ultimately, Andy's right. The plot doesn't really matter. Um, the movie I thought a lot about while I was watching this was John Wick 4 um, because I hadn't seen any John Wick movies before that one. I've tried to watch John Wick 1 a couple times. It hasn't really worked out for me. But John Wick 4 is a beast and I need to go back and watch them all since it's a really fun time. And John Wick 4 does the same thing Mad Max Fury Road does. It basically makes your whole movie one long action sequence with like short intervals in between. And Extraction 2 doesn't have that luxury. Does that make it a bad movie? No. But in a movie where the plot isn't really all that important, you're really just there for like the awesome action sequences, which are a plenty in Extraction 2. Um, it just makes it slow. Like that's the bit you're getting up and going to the bathroom. You know what I mean? Like when they're, when they're, the, the, the action scene's wrapped and they're onto a new country and they're in the headquarters and they're on their phones and they're like, well, what are we, who's going to get the code? We got to get the thing to the plate you just don't care like and there's there's it's just not well put together but on the other side of that is the action which for netflix probably this has got to be i think probably the best original like as far as action goes as far as the actual stuff happening on screen probably their best swing at an action movie so far it's got some pretty great sequences in it like they're really really fun and and very oriented and physical and loud uh, Sam Hargrave returns to direct this one and he definitely like tries to take it further than the last one including uh, one incredible action sequence in the opening act that we kind of have to talk about um, I don't know if you can talk about this movie without it really yeah there is a long uh, about 20-25 minute action sequence I think sequence. it was like 30 something yeah it's long yeah that uh, and it follows this whole thing with them arriving at this Georgian prison they kind of have to break in locate the family break and fight their way out and then continue and then they are pursued and they have to fight off bad guys the whole way they eventually end up on a train um it kind of goes on for way too long i don't know john wick manages to make this interesting because they have very long action sequences as well but you're they keep it fresh enough to where you never get bored i was like when is this gonna be <laughs> over um, it also feels like film by algorithm where it's front loaded. Like this big action sequence at in act one is what you would normally see at like the climax of a, of an action film. But it feels like they know that, well, the algorithm is going to say that people just watch the first half. So we'll load up everything in the first half. Like you would never do that in a real movie that you release to theaters. Yeah, there's a brutal like uh, conversation actually just for that. Just for the first act action sequence kicks off where they talk about TikTok. And one character's like, you shouldn't be on that. And I'm like, oh, God. Like, yeah, it just, it feels like they're like, we got we to gotta hit the Gen Z market. They'll love this. The, the kid's just coming out of college. They're going to think it's the greatest thing ever. Like, sure, man. Uh, I think one of the things John Wick does really well, as opposed to this, is when John Wick is slow, because it does have beats where there is an action. Number one, all your characters are functionally caricatures. Like, they're really unique. It's it's similar to the, to the Wes Anderson Guess Who thing, right? Every every character in John Wick is really unique, has a really unique silhouette, unique voice. Like, they're, there's something special about them, and they're very simple. Half of them, you don't even know their names, right? Like, the villain will have some weird name, like the, the Chancellor, or they'll be going to a location called, like, the High Table, right? Like... And in this movie, and also John Wick, number two, is gorgeous. To, 
Yes, and two, it's gorgeous to look at. Like every setting they're in is the coolest setting ever, and every suit they're wearing is the coolest they've ever looked in a suit. Like the lighting's amazing; it always looks rad. Extraction Two does not have these luxuries. It makes for slow, slow in betweens. But that opening sequence, I do want to talk about that because I think it's probably <laughs> shamelessly probably the best openings, best action sequence in the movie. I really yeah, wondered absolutely. at the end of it, wow, I wonder how they're going to top that in the third act. And like, I don't think they do. <laughs> I think it's no, like, probably it's the best. No, like it's front loaded. It does think, I do the, think it's front loaded. Front loaded yeah. for the algorithm, absolutely. Yes. And what, one of the things that I recognize is that this budget is very different from the first film. I, I think the first film is a better action movie because they are on location, they're in India, they are choreographing these things through buildings and, and things there. This movie is clearly they're just on on sets places like they're never in a real city. There's a lot of really questionable uh, CGI. You, you know they're not on location, and you know this because Netflix has really cut back on a lot of their production budgets. There's been a lot of cuts in spending for, uh, for content there uh, recently, and you can re- I feel like you can really see it in this movie. Like I said, they're in nondescript indoor places that could be anywhere, and a lot of it is just these are sound stages. It's true. Additionally, uh, in regards to the editing, um, in any of the long take action sequences, which were really common in Extraction 1, I think it's one of the things that helped it stand out, uh, the, there are cuts, obviously, but they're, they try to hide them. And in, in, in your longest sequence, like the 30-minute one, which is really solid, like they're, they're pretty obvious. And like after a while, I, I'm reminded of like what Guillermo del Toro said about stop-motion animation. Like stop-motion movies are cool because you can see the way they're made. You can see all the imperfections like in, in the frames as it moves. And when you start to watch a 30-minute action sequence and you start to see the cuts – even though they're trying to be hidden, like it pulls you out of it in a way, right? Like you're not really there with Tyler Rake, like pounding on people. You're sitting on your couch watching Netflix and you're like, oh yeah, my phone just buzzed. I should see what's going on. It's not that it breaks attention. I really like that sequence, but it does get to be a little too much, especially uh, in the car section of it, uh, where it's genuinely nauseating. (laughs) It's too much camera shake and too many hidden cuts and too much CGI to hide the cuts. It's too much. Like it doesn't... But I think I like I'd rather be excess. That's that's worth saying. Like for Extraction Two, I think this is a better evolution on Extraction One, for better or worse. And I think whatever they do next, whatever Sam Hargrave does next, if he takes the skill set and uses what he learned here and tunes it in a bit more, like I think we would get something really special. And in that way, I think I'm excited for the next one because I'm sure they're making another. Like I feel like Netflix has got a little bit of something here, right? They got a little bit of heat. They should they should hang on to it, and make a third one. Hopefully, they don't cancel it. Well, it's like they figured out how to do this kind of a little bit cheaper, I think, which is going to help. And it, and it was allegedly one of their most watched uh, things. Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I just feel like you can see the seams a whole lot more. It would probably work a little bit better on, on the big screen. That kind of helps hide a, a lot of it. Um, but like I, I said, a lot of it, you can tell you're not on a location. A lot of the, expo- like none of the explosions are real. A lot of the gunfire, like you can see, tell a lot of the, the bullet holes are CGI the gunfire is CGI. Like it's just, uh, it's like animation at this point. And it was uh, eventually I was just so bored. Like after that initial action sequence that wraps up at about the first hour, it was just like, I could not get through the rest of it fast enough. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like it just starts to feel like it drags, but I think in that way, front loading it is smart. Uh, a quick mention for the cast, Chris Hemsworth, a lot of fun. 
I think, dude, I, I'm hard pressed to think of a Chris, Chris Hemsworth performance I don't enjoy. Like, it, it's, it's kind of nice to see him not even like take a swing at comedy, right? Because so often I think he gets pulled into that space because he's got some decent chops. Um, no Thor here. Like Tyler Rake is like no nonsense. <laughs> Nothing is funny ever. Everybody is going to die. Kind of character. Uh, he's he's a lot of fun. Uh, his two sidekicks. One whose name I so I absolutely cannot pronounce. Uh, you want to take a swing at it, Andy? Do you? Uh, Gol Shifte Farahani. Farahani and Adam Besa are uh, both a lot of fun. Like understated. Our villain. Oh, Tornai Somebody's going to be upset with me on, on the internet. Uh, he's There's actually not bad. Yeah. Yes. Uh, he's actually not bad either. He's got the scar on his face. Uh, not the most intimidating. Um, but, you know, like, again, you're not really there for, like, the players. You're there for the heat. Like, you want the smoke. And if you yeah. want to see Chris Hemsworth to shoot a helicopter out of the sky with an LMG. On a moving Extraction train. Extraction 2 is, for, yeah, on a moving train. 28 minutes after an insane action sequence. Like, it's the movie for you, baby. Like, I am I think it's accessible. It's it's available for people at home. Like, as far as streaming goes, like, I think it's a pretty good offering. I, what do you, But maybe that's for recommendations. Anything Anything else before we get there? I think that scar on that guy's face is CGI, even. I don't even think it's like a really? real. Yeah. You a couple like of times they, I was watching it, I was like, that just looks like that's pasted on afterwards. Maybe. I mean, I'm sure that happens from time to time. I know Chris Hemsworth is covered in scars. I'm sure some of those are spliced in. In fact, there's, it's funny. There's this one conversation he has with a kid in the middle of it. Uh, when things are slow, uh, when he, yeah, he's talking to this kid, and he's got this cut on his face, and the cut is like right in the center of the frame, and it's like bright red. And I'm like, ew. <laughs> like, Every time it cuts back, I'm like, I don't want to see that. Like, I know it's prosthetic or whatever, but like, gross. Get that out of here. Good lord. Like, put band aid on that. Some I also mentioned that I had to resubscribe to Netflix for this, but I resubscribed to the ad tier, which is only $7. Yeah. And, watch, and in 1080p. So I watched this in glorious 1080p. And how far you've fallen. Fun. Which which looks okay for the most part until there's a there's a lot of motion and it starts to look blurry or there's a lot of like dark like if there's a lot of blacks like a nighttime scene like the the blacks look start to look pixelated. That's right. Color um, crush. So, oh yes. Yeah. So it was what the film deserved though. I didn't feel like I was missing <laughs> Good. out. Good. I'm glad you didn't feel like you were missing out. Andy, would you recommend Extraction Two? I would not. I would say hard pass. Uh, it's way too long. It's full two hours. It is boring as the daylight act to me the action gets boring after after a while uh you know 25 30 minutes is a really long time for uh an action scene they would do better to break that up more uh you know have it have a better midpoint and climax to to work towards and also spend some time developing your, your some personality in your character so hard pass for me uh, I would recommend with caveats, actually, not a hard pass. Uh, if you need to turn your brain off, right? Like you don't care. You got a long summer afternoon and you want to take a nap or something. Like you just need something to, to lull you off to sleep. Or I don't know, maybe you want to have a snack and watch something on Netflix and you want to, you know, see something that's not bad. Like Extraction 2 is exactly the fare you're looking for, right? Like it is harmless, I think, in its presentation uh, because it's just mindless like you don't think a lot about it you don't need to see the first one you're not missing anything they cover it in flashback at the open like it's fine like yeah i I could see my dad watching this right like just throw it on yeah i I don't know yeah maybe it'll be fine and then they're charmed you're charmed by an action sequence that's not bad you know like I, I think it's not bad. I think I'm I'm a little spoiled by things like John Wick 4 like that have really perfected the formula of like hey exactly 
little drama, little exciting drama, and then large action. Like that's the stuff. Like it's just it just makes for a better action movie. Like this movie feels like if it had come out 15 years ago, it would have been all the heat. But like we're we're past that now. You know, like it's it's like Xbox 360 era action movie. Yeah, you- John John Wick is a great example of they because in in the slower parts they have they have a lot of drama they have really colorful characters great visuals and person, yeah right. personalities that that you're not going to forget yeah that shot on location at all these very expensive places around Paris in John Wick four they shoot it at the Louvre the Arc, Arc de Triomphe yeah uh, Sacre Coeur like all <laughs> all these famous places in in Paris they're shooting on location that and that helps it and like. Extraction two is like shot in Netflix's backyard. Yeah, it's true. Like anytime I see a softbox like scene now, right? Where every reason like soft shadows and even lighting, I'm like studio. That's a stage. <laughs> like, I don't care where you're. I don't care. Like you could be hanging off the side of a building. I tell you it's a studio, but whatever. Uh, Andy, you got any plans for the fourth? I got plans. I'm going out of town. Uh, so we're not doing the show next week. Uh, but what, right. what you, you around? What's going on? I, I'm going out of town as well, but we will be back. Uh, with a show on July 11th, and we will be covering Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which comes out uh, this Friday, June 30th, in theaters only. And then we're also going to be watching Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, which co- comes out July 11th. We're going to be c- doing the show the day that movie comes out because we've got uh, some early tickets to that. Uh, by the way, I, I dare anyone to write the title for Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1 and not mess up the punctuation. <laughs> yeah, hit us in the comments if you think you know how to do it, because I'm telling you, it's more complicated than you think. Uh, it's going to be a blowout July. I, I know I said it earlier. Dude, July is going to be insane. Uh, we're taking next week off, taking a break, eating a couple hot dogs by the lake. After that, it's Mission Impossible and Indiana Jones. After that, it's Barbie and Oppenheimer, which is insane. The event of the summer. Cultural event of 2023, Barbenheimer. <laughs> That's why all the kids are saying it. <laughs> That's how we're going to name the show, Barbenheimer, Offscript Film Review, Episode 221. But uh, if you like the show today, Episode 219 of Offscript, if you like what we're doing, if you like the movies we saw, maybe you have a difference of opinion. Maybe you feel differently and maybe a recommendation for us. Uh, The best way to let us know that is to write us a little correspondence. You can email us at mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. You can comment on Facebook where we live stream this very show, including this episode right now. Hi, Facebook. Uh, on Tuesdays around 5 o'clock CST. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. You can comment over there. And, of course, you can give us a follow while you're at it on any social media channels. We're on all the usual podcast places, right? iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Shout out to iHeartMedia, my old employer. Uh, and, of course, you can check out our website, offscriptfilmreview.com. Best way to keep up with us? Just subscribe. Follow, subscribe, do whatever you do on whatever channels you're watching this on right now or listening. All right. And, uh, you know. Give us a follow. Also, dude, got to check out the YouTube channel. Insane things happening on the YouTube channel every week, Andy. Ins- insanity. I can't wait for that Mission Impossible Indiana Jones episode in a couple weeks. going to be a blowout. Million views. <laughs> million plus. Yeah. All right. We're going to get monetized. We're going to sell that out. Spotify get some sponsors. Come oh, in man. In the mail. I, can't w- I can't wait to sell out. <laughs> it's going to be great. Come check us out on YouTube. Really cool things happening over there. Uh, and, of course, uh, catch us in a couple weeks when we're back. Uh, with Mission Impossible and Indiana Jones. God, it's going to be two back-to-back dude, blowout features. I don't know how we're going to do that episode in under an hour. There's, there's no way. Yeah. <laughs> also, we got, God, also, we got... Also, we got... By the way, uh, just a note for for future show listeners, insane trailer park coming up. We got like 12 movies on the trailer park next time we do it. It's going to have to be its own segment. I don't, I don't know how we're going to do it. 
but from all of us at Off Script, thanks for listening. The home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.